You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and solid movie and TV recommendations for whatever ails you. Please note, we are not real therapists, but we are real TV and movie critics. And we're also friends with other critics, one of whom is going to be on the show later, Nicole Perkins from Thirst Aid Kit. Yes, I can hardly wait to get to that. But first, let's get to this week's letters. All right, I'll read this first letter. It's from Chris, and I want to spell that C-R-I-S. And Chris writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, I'm sending this message from Brasilia D.F., which I think means Distrito Federal. She says it's Brazil's capital, right? Okay, so she's from Brasilia D.F. Uh, Yes, it's very far, and I must say that your podcast is saving my pandemic days. Things here are completely out of control. Thousands and thousands of people are dying every day, and the government is doing absolutely nothing to help. Sounds like somewhere that we live, Rafer. <laughs> yes, it certainly does. A familiar, familiar situation. <laughs> um, okay, Chris goes on. She says, I need to ask you to be gentle because English is not even my second language, and it's very difficult for me to express myself in your language. Having said that, my problem is... My girlfriend and I have been in quarantine since March. We work from home, practice social distancing, and have not seen our family or friends for almost five months now. In short, we are only interacting with each other. We are stressed, tired, scared, and trying not to let these things affect us too much. Because of all this, the romance has left the building. Can you recommend some sensual and romantic movies for us? If there's some lesbian love story, that's even better. Oh, Chris, I feel your pain. I feel your pain. Yeah. Now is not a romantic time, I imagine, for I would say (laughs) most humans at this point. I I, I mean, maybe in the beginning, the novelty of like, look, we can just be naked at home all day or whatever. Right. Maybe. But those days have passed. It's been months now. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, I hear you. Uh, yeah, a lot to unpack in this letter. I mean, aside from the very real deaths of, of COVID, which is, you know, very serious. I just wanted to say how 
funny it is uh, to get this letter of someone asking of someone apologizing for speaking English is not even their second language. <laughs> imagine, imagine, Kristen, if you and I had to apologize for the third language that we spoke. Oh, my God. Do I speak one language? <laughs> I barely speak not, English. <laughs> not only that, not only, does, not only does Chris speak supposedly poor English, she managed to sneak in an Elvis Presley reference in her letter. Oh, yes. The romance has left the building. Yes. So anyway, Chris, if you're listening, I think you're doing just fine on the English front. Yeah, your English is no fantastic. Necessary. Yeah, no need to apologize. <laughs> okay, so Kristen, what do you say? Do you have a suggestion for Chris? Oh, I love this question because, you know, I love a romance. And there is a romance that came out late in 2019 that I think is just absolutely beautiful. It's sensual. It's just stunning to look at. The way it is filmed is so beautiful. It is called Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Rafer, have you seen this? I'm going to I'm gonna commit a real film critic faux pas here and say I have not what? seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I know one of the most acclaimed films of its year. I, you know, uh, as you know, I'm part of the New York film critic circle who, who right now are probably embarrassed to have me, but um, I never saw it. So, uh, Kristen, I'm going to have to just let you let you run with this one. All right. Well, I'm going to run with it then. If you're not familiar with the storyline, it is set in France in the late 1700s. It tells the story of a forbidden love affair between an aristocrat named Heloise, who is soon to be married off to a nobleman, and Marion, the painter commissioned to paint her wedding portrait that is going to be sent to this nobleman. And when he approves and sees how pretty she is, he's going to say, yes, send her off to me. So this is a very important portrait. Like, imagine nowadays if you were doing Tinder and it's the portrait that's going to be on Tinder. Only more important because your whole family's fortunes are on the line because you're marrying well, right? It's like that. So Marianne is brought in to do this painting, but notably, Heloise does not want to sit for a painting. Heloise, her last portrait artist who came in, she would never let that portrait artist see her face. She hid from the last painter. And this is because Heloise doesn't want to get married. Heloise up until recently lived in a convent. She wants nothing to do with this. But Marianne, in order to make this work, doesn't even reveal that she's a painter at first. She just is acting as a companion, someone to keep her company during the day. And while they are on their daily walks, she memorizes all of Heloise's features, her face, her body, her movement, her ears, her neck. The camera is worshiping every part of Heloise, and so is Marianne. And before you know it, the relationship between the two becomes more than just about walking or about painting. Is it in English, that movie? No, Rafer, it is in French. And um, I hope, Chris, that there in Brazil, they translate it to Portuguese for you or that the subtitles in English, hopefully you can follow them. Or maybe you speak French since you speak so many languages, Chris. So, Oh, she maybe, probably does. She probably speaks. Yeah, she probably speaks French just fine. So, <laughs> so the movie <laughs> is in French. Um, I watched it subtitled. And um, I will also say that it's not full of a ton of dialogue. The movie is so beautifully acted out with an economy of words. And I don't mean to make it sound like this is a slow movie. It's not. It's just a beautiful, picturesque movie where they don't uh, speak at the pace of like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. <laughs> but it is so stunningly beautiful. And Rafer, you know me. I just love a costume drama. I love a costume sure. romance. 
The gowns are absolutely stunning. Every set is beautiful. Everything in this movie is gorgeous. It is so beautiful to look at. But the relationship between the women at the heart of the story is really what it's about. And I promise you, Chris, it is sensual. You will get that sensuality you are asking for. It will walk right back into the building and it will lay down on your sofa and it'll say, come here. That's what's going to happen when you watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Kristen, where the hell did you get that Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross reference? <laughs> where did that come from? I just want to make that clear. You know how Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, it's like, how many pages of dialogue are in this? 800? Like, it's so many words all the time. <laughs> Now all I can think of is now I can think of is people saying you're a machine. You're the machine. Okay. Always be closing. Always A B C. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm just saying that to cover my shame for not having seen Portrait of a Lady on Fire. That's all. You're going to see it eventually because it's one of those movies that there is not going to be a critic in America who hasn't seen it. You'll have seen it by the end of the year, I guarantee. As always, I own the damn thing, like all, like so many movies. It's, it's it's just like all the books that are on my nightstand that I, that I haven't read. It's one of those. I, I own that You're going to love it, Rafe. I know. It is so I beautiful. Know. You're going to just love it. But what did you pick? I need to, I need to hear what you chose. I'm so curious. Okay. Well, well, I also chose another movie about a lesbian couple. And Chris, maybe you've seen this. I don't know. I hope not. It's called Disobedience from a couple years earlier, from 2017. Great movie. Oh, from, this is the uh, one with Rachel Weiss, right? That's right. Rachel Weiss and uh, Rachel McAdams. Um, yes. And uh, it's the director's uh, Sebastian uh, Lelio. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. He's a Chilean filmmaker. But the setting for this movie is London, and it takes place within the city's Orthodox Jewish community. And it's t- two main characters are a woman named Esty, played by Rachel McAdams. She's the wife of a uh, a guy named Dovid, who is a deeply religious man. I don't think he's quite a rabbi. He's kind of a, he's just a pillar of the community. He's very close to the community's religious leaders. And then there's Ronnie, played by Rachel McAdams. Uh, she used to be part of the community, uh, but she rebelled, left her family, went to America. And uh, she becomes a photographer in New York City and, le- and leads this kind of, you know, glamorous, secular, you know, smoking and drinking, you know, American life. And even more of a scandal, something that nobody really knows, is that Ronnie and Esty had a little thing together when they were younger. And now that they're back together, they're having a very tough time keeping their hands off each other. Uh, here's a little bit of Ronnie causing some tension at a family dinner. We saw your photos in a magazine. Mm. Yeah, it was the, the pictures of the twins that you showed us. But they they called you Ronnie Curtis. That's my professional name. What was wrong with your real name? Krushka, you should be proud of it. Artists change their names sometimes, don't they, Moshe? That's right, Fru. Yeah. Well. Women. Women change their names every day. They take their husbands' names and their own history is gone. Don't they? What are you talking about, gone? Not gone? Yes. (laughs) They do. Mm. Rafer, I'm going to be the one right now confessing. I haven't seen this movie, but I remember it was really well-reviewed. I remember people thought it was great when it came out, especially critics. Yes, it was a real critical hit. People really liked it. Um, For whatever reason, it didn't kind of catch on um, with uh, mainstream audiences. I don't really know why. Um, You know, maybe a movie like uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which was uh, in a more exotic setting, you know, it's in a different time period. Maybe that sort of sparked people's imagination a little more this this movie is it it is basically essentially 
uh, Brokeback Mountain in the Orthodox Hasidic, you know, uh, mm. the Orthodox Jewish community. Uh, you know, uh, you could call it Brokeback Crown Heights or something like that. You know, <laughs> but like, but it's such a great movie. And I and I and what really makes it work are the two performances, and they're it's their performances are are really extraordinary. Um, this might be a kind of a mean thing to say, but I don't necessarily think of Rachel McAdams as like a great dramatic actress. I sort of associate her more with romantic comedies and these kind of sweet roles. Maybe that's unfair of me, but she is just phenomenal in this movie. And as is Rachel Weiss and they, their characters are so richly developed. They're so, they're, they're such real seeming people. I know it's based on a novel, which I didn't read, but you can kind of tell it's just got that kind of richness to it. And, um, I don't want to spoil anything, but this has got some, uh, extremely hot sex in it. And there's a certain thing these two women do together that I've never seen or heard of before. It's nothing extremely super kinky or super fetishy or anything. Um, I just never seen anyone do it. And it, it, it made a, it made a big impression on me. Anyway, wow. uh, so I'm, well, just now I'm curious what that yeah, is. I'm just going to throw that out there and, and let it and let it hang there. But it's a great movie, uh, you know, top to bottom. Just it's beautifully made, beautifully acted, uh, really well written. I, I just I, I loved that film. Sounds fantastic. So, Chris, once again, those recommendations are from Rafer Disobedience and from me, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. All right. We're going to take a quick break. But before we do. Our usual reminder that we love it when you rate and review us in Apple Podcasts, for example, Ellipscomb. I'm not going to spell that for you, but that's how it's pronounced. <laughs> Ellipscomb recently gave us five stars and wrote, My favorite movie podcast, very fun show that gives excellent movie recommendations to solve the problems of their listeners. Fun hosts are a pleasure to listen to and always improve my day. Oh, Ellipscomb, thank you. You just improved our day. That totally, totally made my day. That was so sweet. And everyone else out there, make our day too. Leave us five stars. We'll take that. Okay, stay with us. When we're back, we have someone who is dreading another nine weeks of homeschooling her kids. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. We're back with our second letter of the week. This one is from Emily. She assures us that Emily is her real name, unlike most of the Emilys who have been writing to us, uh, who we suspect are <laughs> using pen name Emilys. But this is apparently a real Emily. And Kristen, I'll let you read this letter from real Emily. <laughs> yes. Emily says, Dear Rafer and Kristen, now that it's been announced that at least our first nine weeks of school will be virtual, I probably, like many other moms, could use some help. I'm struggling with many emotions, 
sadness that my teenagers won't be able to play their fall sports, stress over my youngest kids not being able to have much-needed social interaction, and more than anything, anxiety over realizing that we have to go back to online learning not very successful in my house. As much as I think keeping the kids home is a good decision for many reasons, I just hate it. Is there something that can help me look at this homeschooling gig in a new light? Boy, I, I empathize with you, real Emily. It's uh, I hate it too. And, you know, I think it says something that in the middle of this pandemic, uh, a lot of health experts uh, like Anthony Fauci have been saying uh, that it is better for the children to go to school and take that risk. It is better for their, their mental, emotional health and for the quality of their education and all these things that we should open up these schools and send these kids back. But he only says to do it if you're willing to enforce masking. Yes, of which course. Which so many schools in America won't do. Well, that's, oh, that's a whole, I'm not <laughs> even sure I can handle getting into that conversation. But yes, of course, um, it it's, it's crazy, but it, but I guess what I'm saying is, you know, kids being around other kids, uh, interacting, learning in a in an official learning environment. I know that some people do actually do homeschool their kids and have done a fantastic job at it. Um, but I do think that for most kids, um, that social interaction and that teacher interaction, that in person learning is just invaluable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but you're doing it part time. Also, aren't you, Rafer? Your kids are going to be doing a mixture of in-class and homeschooling, too. Is that right? Oh, God. I mean, listen, everything changes so fast. As of press time uh, on this <laughs> podcast, as of press time, it seems that New York schools are going to reopen. You're going to you can have a you can have a 100 percent remote option. You can have the, the, the blended model, uh, you know, which is you're in in school part of the time. You're at home part of the time. You know, look, to me personally, that sounds like the worst of all worlds, but <laughs> I just, I, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. I know New York right now is, is doing, uh, extremely well, COVID numbers wise. Um, mm. you know, the rest of the country is just not. And so whether that starts to affect New York, uh, who knows? Who knows? So it's, you know, it's, it's tough. Yeah, Rafer, it's a tough situation. And my friends who are school teachers, they're really on the fence too. They don't know if they want to be in a crowded school right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, remember, a school doesn't just have students. It also has like the elderly lunch ladies and the office ladies and the custodial yeah. staff. And there are a lot of people there that, you know, it's it's a scary time. And sure, I, I know you don't want me to get into it too much, but man, the people choosing not to wear masks make me so mad. <laughs> That's slowing this whole thing down. If everybody would just agree we're going to wear masks, it would all be fine. Everything would be fine now. It's insane. Okay, I'm going to stop. Sorry. I, know. I don't I don't I don't know what to even I don't even know how to how to process any of that in my head. I really just don't. It's 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 insanity. Uh if that's 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 one man's opinion. Pure insanity. Yes. <laughs> okay. So before I get back on my soapbox about the masks, uh, let's hear your recommendation, Rafer. What what should we prescribe Emily here? Okay. I'm going to prescribe you a movie called The Glass Castle from 2017. This is, you may know it, um, it's based on the uh, memoir by Jeanette Walls, a very successful New York City journalist. Uh, you know, she's moving in all the glamorous media circles of the city getting her awards, attending dinners, you know, going to fancy pants restaurants. But she has a secret, and her secret is that her parents are homeless. She, she will occasionally actually uh, spot them 
dumpster diving for clothes and foods out in the streets. And when she does, she usually looks away. Part of that is uh, shame, uh, but also part of that is anger at them because she grew up just about homeless as well, moving from place to place, sometimes one step ahead of the law, sometimes uh, sleeping in their car. Uh, as for you know your traditional parenting, your traditional education, Jeanette did not get a lot of that. Um, here's an example of how her father, played by Woody Harrelson, taught her to swim. It's not so bad, is it? Good. You're going to learn to swim today. Catch your breath. Catch your breath. Oh, okay. All right. Sweet. Nice. Why'd you do that? Okay. Now, sink or swim. read the book when it came out, but I have not actually seen the movie. The book is very harrowing. There are a lot of complicated feelings in there. Um, oh, yeah. She tries to be balanced and kind, but it's hard not to just think these are the worst people. Well, ex- yes, exactly. Um, yeah, I read the book, too, and loved it and thought it was just like you're saying, so, so complicated. Um, and it's funny, the movie came out um, and, you know, had this amazing cast, right? Brie Larson plays uh, Jeanette Walls, the lead. Uh, Woody Harrelson, like I said, is her dad. Naomi Watts is her mom. They're all in really fine form. Uh, it And yet, uh, for some reason, the movie did not get very good reviews. I, I, I was really surprised when I wrote my quite glowing review. And then all the other reviews came out and people thought it was kind of cliched and a little bit dull and kind of um too i don't know they just they didn't they just most critics didn't seem to think that it worked but i really did i I think the movie did a really great job of capturing just all this love and hate that is in that family and for you emily i would say the take-home message is this your kids are resilient they will learn from just about any experience they have, and they will very often learn things that you really weren't trying to teach them. They will learn things that you didn't expect. You know, in this movie, I think one of the most interesting things is, you know, Jeanette's father, uh, Rex, he's this wild, free-spirited, you know, uh, anti-establishment drunk. And what he wants to teach her is to, you know, buck the system and be a free spirit and, you know, don't, don't put yourself in a box. And if you have to choose between some crappy job and a party, always choose the party because, you know, you got to live life to the fullest. And instead, what Jeanette learns from all that is to work really hard, be focused, never lose sight of her goal, because that's how she manages to escape from her parents. And that's how she builds a successful career. So in a weird way, Rex turns out to be 
this kind of successful father, uh, despite everything that Jeanette might say about him. And so I'm not saying, Emily, that you're going to be this kind of disaster of a parent. That is certainly not what my, my point here. But my point here is, you know, the message is don't despair. Do your best. And I think your kids will always learn what they need to learn. Oh, I love that message, Rafer. Well, thank you. I think it's true. And I, and I, and again, you know, um, listen, Emily, if you see it, and you don't like it. I don't know what to tell you. Most critics didn't, but um, I thought very highly of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Kristen, what about you? I'm going in a, in a slightly different direction, Rafer. I chose a movie from 1980. It centers on a writer named Jack. He's suffering from writer's block. And uh, he decides that maybe a, a change of scenery will help him. So he becomes the winter caretaker of the isolated Overlook Hotel Kristen. in Colorado. And he settles into the hotel along with his wife, Wendy, and his son, Danny. But before long, Danny is seeing disturbing visions. Jack begins to unravel and become homicidal. The movie I speak of is Stanley Kubrick's very classic movie, The Shining, based on the book by Stephen King. Here's a clip. You are concerned about him. (laughs) And are you concerned about me? Of course you are. Ever thought about my responsibilities? Oh, Dick, what are you talking about? Have you ever had a single moment's thought about my responsibilities? Have you ever thought for a single solitary moment about my responsibilities to my employers? Has it ever occurred to you that I have agreed to look after the Overlook Hotel until May the 1st? Does it matter to you at all? that the owners have placed their complete confidence and trust in me and that I have signed a letter of agreement, a contract, in which I have accepted that responsibility. You have the slightest idea what a moral and ethical principle is, do you? Kristen, what is wrong with you? <laughs> what, why on earth would you show a concerned parrot The Shining? I have good reason. I promise, real Emily. This <laughs> okay. is this is not a joke answer. It's a real answer. Uh, the reason I'm recommending this movie is because unlike Jack at the Overlook Hotel, completely isolated, you are not isolated. And unlike Danny, who is by himself, the only child in this horrible place, you don't have one child. Based on how you worded your letter, I'm guessing you have a minimum of four children because you referred to the teens in plural and you referred to your younger children in plural as well. So your kids are not going to be isolated. You're not just going to have one kid alone watching walls bleed, talking to demons. (laughs) No, you're going to have kids who are playing with each other. They're not going to be isolated. You're going to have kids who have to do things like share and negotiate and do all the things that people do when they're around others. Um, My friends who have one child say that it is frequently a full-time job just to keep that one child entertained. And my friends who have two kids frequently say, yeah, in the beginning, it was really tough having two kids, but then they reached a certain point where we can just leave them in a room and they'll just do stuff with each other. And you have this luxury, real Emily. And unlike Danny, unlike Jack, unlike Wendy, you are able to do things like use the internet and watch TV. (laughs) You're not alone in a haunted hotel with twin sisters holding hands in the hallway at night. You're not alone in a hotel with bleeding walls. 
you're 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 not dealing with any of that stuff. You have a whole community within your family and a whole community at your fingertips thanks to the telephone, the internet, these podcasts that you're listening to right now. Listen, you're not alone. We're right, we're right here with you. Emily, we're right here. Unlike Jack chasing his child through a hedge maze in the snow with an axe. Kristen, <laughs> well, listen, Stanley Kubrick, as you probably know, is my favorite filmmaker. Yes. And if, if I had to, you know, as people always ask me, you know, what are your top 10 movies? And I usually just say, you know, well, the top seven will be Stanley Kubrick movies. And then the last ones will just be a bunch of random stuff. Um, <laughs> the Shining, you know, uh, it's it's the greatest. Uh, it's a but, really you know, good I, movie. It really oh, is. I mean, it's one of the best movies ever. It's one of the it's it's got to be one of the top two or three horror movies of all time. But, uh, you know, Emily, I hope your kids don't have to bathe because they're never going to bathe again after they see this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying to watch it with the kids, Emily. I'm saying, Emily, just. Take a night for yourself. Pour yourself a glass of Prosecco. Have some popcorn. Watch The Shining. Be grateful <laughs> that your kids have each other and that you're not alone. Just be grateful. Kristen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to report you to the medical movie board on that one. <laughs> okay. Once again, our recommendations are from Kristen, The Shining, and from me, The Glass Castle. <laughs> All right. We're going to take another quick break. But before we do... Do you need some movie therapy? Visit our website, raferandkristen.com. Fill out the contact form there. You don't have to use your real name. You can be a real Emily. You can be a fake Emily. You can be any other name you want to. You can be Jack. Jack the writer with writer's block. <laughs> any of those things. All right. And if you haven't already, please join the conversation on our Facebook community. That is facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and Kristen. It's a really fun community. People post every day. They talk about what movies they're watching, what TV shows. They disagree with us. That's always fun. <laughs> oh, it's great. I mean, I'm, even I'm on there. And as you know, I hate Facebook. Yes, yes. You're on there too. And you always post fun things. All right. When we're back, we're going to be joined by our special guest, Nicole Perkins, host of Thirst Aid Kit. She is, of course, asking, what should I watch next? We are back with a very special guest, the great Nicole Perkins, who hosts one of my very favorite podcasts in the whole world, Thirst Aid Kit. Nicole, welcome to the show. Ah, thank you. <laughs> okay, Nicole, uh, for anyone out there who is not familiar with it, can you tell us about Thirst Aid Kit? Sure. Thirst Aid Kit is a podcast that um, examines the way pop culture has shaped desire. So consider it a fun cultural criticism with a lot of auntie laughs. And um, <laughs> we try to focus on um, what we call a thirst object. So that is a celebrity or someone well known um, that people are familiar with, or maybe need a bit more of an introduction to. And we kind of break down their appeal um, and their lasting appeal or their upcoming appeal, maybe for some newer artists. And it is not, um, some people think, oh, you just you're just talking about hot dudes. It's not that. <laughs> <laughs> but we're looking at the ways Hollywood tells us who is beautiful and why. And we've tried to break that down, you know, so it's like, 
is that guy really hot or is he just tall and white? You know, that kind yes, of thing. Yes, <laughs> I love that about your show. <laughs> but you do books and things as well. You do romance novels, things like that as well. Yes, because ultimately we want to give um, people, especially women um, in films, a safe place to express their desires because too often women are discouraged from expressing desire regardless of where they fall on the spectrum of sexuality um even if they're just you know i want to hold hands with someone then they can they're shamed for that sometimes you know um so we just want to give people a place to examine their desires and express their desires I have to say, one of my very favorite episodes of your show actually used Eugene Levy as the jumping off point. Yes. <laughs> and, and I just love that you guys go in all sorts of directions that maybe, you know, mainstream media isn't necessarily appreciating or looking closely at. And you guys go there. I yeah. love that about your show. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, we try to avoid... Um, you know, anything prescriptive. We're not telling you who to desire. We're not telling you what to desire. Um, and we also, when we are talking about the physical appearances of these people, it is not about, oh, you should look like this. It's about things that most of us have, like with Eugene Levy, beautiful eyebrows, right? Oh, so um, yes. <laughs> you know, we talk about hands and um, competency and things like that. Like, it's not all just abs, 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 you know? Um, <laughs> and like, personally, I talk about this frequently, but personally, I don't even like men who are very built, who are like in the gym all the time. I like what well, I that's have- great news. Yeah, I like um, what's called a French fry of a man. And that is someone who is very slim and you know you could just eat them up like a french fry that's what i like <laughs> love it and um nicole though we do um have to say we were surprised that your question for us of what should you watch next um isn't necessarily uh i think i thought you were gonna have a racier question for us but <laughs> but but tell us what your question is so my question is, what can I watch next after going through shows like um, Murdoch Mysteries, which is um, a murder mystery series with a detective uh, takes place at early 1900s in Toronto, Canada. And I'm looking for something that has that same kind of murder mystery feel. I love cozy mysteries. I love um, anything where there is a small town filled with quirky people and suddenly everyone's dying and there's only like <laughs> <laughs> this one person that could come in and figure out who's killing everybody. Um, um, I like uh, Miss Fisher's murder mysteries, things like that. So I'm looking for something else, but to go to that racy stuff, I do really like it when there is a romantic element involved, when there are two characters who have um, some tension between them or something like that. So there, I do like a little, a little spice in there. Yeah, I love a good murder mystery, too. I think they're kind of uh, coming back in fashion, too, with um, uh, the new uh, Murder on the Orient Express and Knives Out from Ryan Johnson. It's kind of like the old-fashioned sort of 70s movie Murder mystery is kind of uh, kind of back in fashion, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, I love that. And what about um, Ready or Not? That was one of my favorite movies that I oh, saw yeah. last like Ready year. Or not? Yeah, it was really good. <laughs> I like that too. I got a big kick out of that. Oh, that's good. Well, Rafer, I am dying to know what you are going to prescribe Nicole to watch next after those Murdoch mysteries. What should we? What what should she watch? 
All right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to reach back in history a little bit. Uh, Nicole, I hope you haven't seen this movie uh, because my prescription is uh, not a show. It's a movie called Death Trap from 1982. Do you know it? No, I don't. OK, that's a good thing. All right. Uh, <laughs> so I can introduce you to this and I, th I think you'll enjoy it. Um, so, yeah, 1982, it's you know, it's getting to be uh, it's getting kind of up there at this point. Uh, but it's a great old movie that's kind of fallen off the radar a little bit these days. Um Essentially, it's a three-person murder mystery. It's got a great cast. Michael Caine plays Sidney Brule. He's a playwright. He lives in Long Island with his wife, Myra, played by Diane Cannon. Uh, Sidney also teaches a writing workshop. And one of his students is a promising young man named Clifford, played by Christopher Reeve of Superman fame. This is one of his few, uh, one of his first uh, non-Superman roles. Um, and this guy, Clifford, has written a really good murder mystery called Death Trap. Sydney invites him over for dinner, uh, makes a little joke to his wife that, uh, you know, he's having some writer's block and his best idea so far has been to murder Clifford and take credit for the play. Um, and the wife thinks he's kidding, but after a while it starts to look like maybe he's not kidding. One of the first things he does is he puts Clifford in a pair of trick handcuffs that are supposed to open, but the trick doesn't quite seem to be working right. And here's a clip. Now turn, press, pull. No, you're not doing it right. It's got to be all in one single moment. Movement. Just okay. turn, press, turn, turn, press, press, pull. <laughs> I guess I'm just not Houdini. <laughs> it's all right. I have the key here. Somewhere. Don't fuss with him, Clifford. You'll ruin them. Sorry. Key, key, key. Where are you? Little brass key. Um, I forgot to mention that I should be getting a phone call any minute now. There's a girl that's coming to see me at, uh, at 8.30. That's about what time it is now, isn't it? How'd you get this number? Not listed. This was a very non-Superman role. I won't say much more about it, except that it was a real shocker at the time. Um, uh, it really, um, it surprised audiences. Um... And it's a movie that's just got this incredible pedigree, aside from the cast. It's um, based on a play by Ira Levin, uh, who's the guy who gave us Rosemary's Baby and the Stepford Wives. Um, Sidney Lumet, uh, who did the original Murder on the Orient Express, is the guy who is the director. Um, and it's just one of those movies that's got like great twist after great twist. You, 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 you'll gasp, you'll scream. After a while, the, the twists come so fast and furious, you'll start laughing. Um, I won't say any more about it. But it's a great, swift, fun murder mystery, and I think you'll get a big kick out of it. Ah, thank you. I love Christopher Reeve. I am so excited to see him outside of Superman. And I remember watching a Michael Caine movie about the, I think it's called The Hand or something. Oh, yeah, like sure. That. Yeah, and it scared <laughs> the mess out of me when I was a little girl. So. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Michael Caine's the best. He, he can do anything. He's, oh, uh, he's infallible. He's great. He's been in every kind of movie you can think of, including oh my God, ones sure. for people who are thirsty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Kristen, how about you? All right. Well, Rafer, I got to say, I don't think I can top you. That is such a good suggestion. Um, 
I went a little bit more straightforward because Nicole Murdoch Mysteries is on the Acorn channel via Amazon Prime in the States. So I wanted to choose another show that's kind of in that universe that's also on Acorn via Amazon. It is a show that uh, came out last year. There's only one season so far. I'm hoping that there will be future seasons. It's called Queens of Mystery. Do you know the show? No, I don't. Oh, good. That makes me so happy. Uh, (laughs) It follows the adventures of Beth, Kat, and Jane Stone. They're three crime-writing sisters in their 50s, and they have a niece who's a detective. And together, the crime-writing sisters and their niece use their knowledge, both fictional and real, of how crime works to attempt to solve murders in the quaint and picturesque little tiny English village where they live. And of course, there are lots of murders in this little village. But (laughs) the biggest mystery of all that they all want to solve is where's Matilda's mother? Because Matilda's mother disappeared 20 years ago. Although not officially declared an orphan until her 10th birthday, Matilda Stone lost her mother three days, three hours, and three minutes into her third year. She would later tell of feeling the invisible cord all children share with their mother suddenly snapping. And of how, even at the tender age of three years, three days, three hours, and three minutes old, she was sure she would never see her mother alive again. Despite the tragedy, Matilda grew up well cared for and well loved by her mother's three crime-writing sisters. Jane. Study hard. Cat. Remember, anyone starts, make sure you land the first punch. And Beth Stone. Tuna pasta bake, your favorite. Now, as you can hear from that clip, this show is whimsical. It's delightful. It's fairy tale like. To say that it's whimsical is such an understatement. Everything is so candy colored and adorable and sweet. And yet it's so murdery also. And it's so <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's all those uh little things you imagine when you think of a cute, picturesque English village and all of the characters who live in that kind of world. And yes, I will say there are looks of longing between people. Oh, I am very intrigued. And it also sounds a little bit like Pushing Daisies. Do you remember Pushing Daisies? Oh, yes. Yes, it has a similar tone to that. It does. Okay. Very cute, very adorable, very deadly. <laughs> and look at this cute outfit I'm wearing. Yeah, it's really, really cute. I'm, I'm going to also say this. Um, Rafer sounds a little bit more tense. Um This is not very tense. It's just enjoyable. It's just popcorn. It's sweet. It's delicious. And I'm also just personally, I'm a big fan whenever people who are journalists or writers get to be the ones solving the mysteries. And I'm sure all three of us know that feeling of like, hey, I write stuff all the time. Sure. Yeah. I'm smart. I can figure out a murder, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yes. And on this show, Queens of Mystery, you can. Uh, That sounds really, really good. I'm, uh, I'm excited to get into both of these suggestions. Um, I I love just kind of sitting down and forgetting where I am. I'm not even into like true crime or anything like that, but something about a murder mystery. And I think it's kind of what you were speaking to, Kristen, this um, 
you know, being a writer and you have to piece together stuff, you know, when you're writing and you're plotting things out and then like letting go of that, while also being able to stay within your own element and your own talents, I guess, and, yes. and see if you can still figure out other people's plotting. I love that. I love that so much. All right, Nicole. And for our listeners out there, once again, our recommendations are from me, Death Trap, and from Kristen, Queens of Mystery. Well, we loved having you on today. Nicole, can you remind listeners where they can follow you and where they can find you? Sure. I am on Twitter at Tennessee Whiskey Woman, and that is TN Whiskey with an E Woman. And Thirst Aid Kit is at Thirst Aid Kit. Excellent. Oh, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. We so appreciate it. And um, yeah, let us know what you think about these shows. Let us know if they scratch that mystery itch of yours. Thank you so much for having me, and I will keep you updated. I might even live tweet something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. Do do it. it. Do it. (laughs) Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. Thanks, Nicole. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Movie Therapy. Yes. Huge thanks to Nicole Perkins for joining us. Huge thanks to everybody who reached out to us with their great questions. If you have a question you want to ask us, don't hesitate to write to us at our website, RaferAndKristen.com. Again, you do not have to use your real name. One more time. That's RaferAndKristen.com. You can also tweet us at RaferGuzman and at Kristen Meinzer. And reminder, please rate us and review us in Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Give us five stars and tell your friends about the show. It really does help a lot. Until next time, I'm Rayford Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.